Welcome back to SEL Convergence. This is episode 38. Mike, thanks again for that introduction, and thank you so much for producing our podcast. My friends, tonight I have this wonderful, wonderful teacher, Katie McLaughlin. Katie, welcome. Hi, Tom. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me. Katie is a teacher at Avongrove Intermediate School. She's a fourth grade teacher, and I also have the privilege of having Katie in our master's degree program. Katie, are you close to graduation? Not yet. I'm about halfway through at this point. All right. Wonderful. I'm actually excited about because I love the classes so much and I learned so much. Thank you so much, Katie. So I want to chat with you tonight, Katie, about the beginning of the school year and how important that is. And and you you have offered so many really powerful projects in the master's degree program. I wanted to share some of those thoughts with our listeners as we move through our time together tonight. So let's start off with how has the start begun? How is, how's things going? All right. Well, things are going amazing so far. Um, as we all know, the beginning of the school year is the time to really build that fr- build that trust and to work on building positive relationships. A lot of our students have may know some kiddos in the class, but um, most of the time there are a lot of new faces and you as the teacher of obviously we are new faces as well. So um, I really like to focus on the first two weeks. I'm very lucky our district allows us to have the first two weeks to focus on building those relationships. Um, So I'm going to share a couple of things that I do in my classroom that either helps build positive relationships um, or just really allows our students to make the classroom feel like their own. To start off, um, because of one of Tom's classes, I implemented the scavenger hunt that I know a lot of teachers use. Um, This is a grid-like worksheet that has different characteristics, and students have a task where they need to find other students in the class that have either had an experience that's in that grid and they sign their name or just something about them. Um, Something that I did this year in particular is I tried to use more topics that were conversation starters, a little more natural. So a lot of times you'll see, um, find someone who has brown eyes, find someone who loves to read, which those are wonderful and they're comfortable questions. Um, I added in some, uh, some topics that kind of made them either giggle or at least just ask a little bit more, like for a fourth grader to like mustard. That is unheard of. So I added that to uh, the grid and it's just a good conversation starter. Um, One of them was if a student was double jointed. um, And then I also have a lot of L's in my class this year. Uh, Those are English learners. So I added in a lot of cultural questions as well. And that was a great way for them to initiate conversation where I don't have to be there uh, assisting and helping build those relationships, it gives them an opportunity to do that on their own. How many do you have in your classroom this year, Katie? I have 29 in my homeroom this year. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a lot. It is. And I always say it's 29 kids that I get to love. (laughs) That's beautiful. So for that activity, which I, I, I also love, about how much time do you give them for that? Um. I would say about 15 to 20 minutes for their names. And then I really like to spend the time to go over it. And I ask them to share what they have on their paper. 
For example, um, I don't necessarily want them to raise their hand and say, I am double jointed. I want them to raise their hand and say, oh, my new friend, Jessica is double jointed. And then we get to direct the conversation towards that other student if, uh, if they're comfortable. We get to ask I love, questions. I love that you are going over the, the, the worksheet. I love that you're going over the treasure hunt with them so that everybody, so the information now becomes public in that whole classroom community. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Um, so something else that I do that's you, there are two things that I do in my classroom that are unique. Um, I think it really allows the students to take ownership in the classroom, which is super important as well. Um, one thing is I have a personal makerspace. We have lots of materials, um, but the most important part is we use recycled materials. Um, we talk about innovation and creativity, and we talk about how the makerspace is a time for them to not just craft, but I really want them to think about what they can make in terms of something that someone else can use. Mm. Um, so we talk about that. This is something that they really enjoy. And it also provides an opportunity for um, some kiddos who wouldn't necessarily become friends. I've really seen some kids bond over the makerspace, especially the Lego area. Um, that's a good spot for them to, um, to build some relationships. And then the second thing is flexible seating. I know that is super popular among all classrooms um, or most classrooms. But one thing that I do in my classroom is every student has access to flexible seating every day. Um, so out of all 29 students, there's a list of their names. There's little clothespins that we will arrange differently daily. And they'll come in in the morning, they'll check the clothespin and they'll see what flexible seating that they have. Um, the difference is they aren't always physical chairs or, um, they're, they're also areas of the room. So one student might get the cozy corner, which is by my classroom library. The, I'll try to put two students there and it's random. So it allows them throughout the year to sit with someone that they wouldn't normally sit with. Nice. So I, I want to dig into to both of these. So sure. the makerspace, uh, how, how if I'm a student in your fourth grade, do I go there whenever I want? Is there are there certain times when I go there? Uh, and, and tell me a little bit more about what I'm working on. Sure. So um, just to set the expectations for the beginning, we read the book called Have Fun, Molly Lumellen. Um this is a book specifically about a child who would rather create her toys, whereas her neighbor gets more material toys, materialistic toys. Um, and her neighbor actually learns from her to use her imagination and how much more fun it is to create. So we start off reading that picture book together and we talk about what innovation and creation is, what it means. Um, and we talk about what the makerspace, what they want the makerspace to look like. That's important because that means it needs to be neat. It needs to be clean um, when they're not using it, which usually leads into they decide when is the best time to use it. Um, and we typically decide on arrival. So when they come in and once they finish the things on the board, some teachers do morning work, some teachers do soft starts. Um, this is something they can work on during dismissal while they're waiting for their buses to be called after they're packed up, and then during indoor recess as well. 
That's fantastic. So you 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 hit a couple of things that that I'm interested in. So the soft start. You said soft start. What is, what does that mean? Some teachers use them, and Mike, you might have something to add to this. Some teachers use them as um, some activities that students can use can start with during the day. It's something to get their brain warmed up. That's not necessarily a worksheet. That's not necessarily a prompt on the board. It can be something that helps their motor skills. It could be something like a brain teaser. Um, from what I've seen, it's typically like clay or Play-Doh or Legos or just something where they have choice in what they're doing with their morning activity. So you just mentioned for me an important and powerful word, choice. And, and when, when they are creating the, the appropriate use of that makerspace, uh, you are empowering them. All choice empowers those empowers all of us, but particularly your young fourth graders. And it, it also, I also, as you were describing that, flashed on to some of the best businesses in the world right now. For example, 3M Corporation, they give a percentage of time every day for their employees to work on any idea that they want knowing that when they empower that innovation, when they empower that creativity, it will ultimately lead to some great benefit for the organization. Absolutely. Yes. I've heard of that too. Uh, I think it's also called, I've heard um, Genius Hour yes, as well. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. You're right. And flexible seating was really interesting to me. So can you give our listeners some examples? So I, I heard the lot, kind of the library nook area. And, and I love that you're connecting people together there. What are some other options? Um, so I have five different gray stools. They're small stools that um, the students can bring to their seat. I have large orange fuzzy chairs that kind of look like the chairs that you would pull apart at a baseball game, like a child's baseball game or a soccer game, um, like that you can throw over your arm. Yep, yep. I don't know what they're called, but um, one of those. Actually, I'm sorry. I have two of those. I have pillows. I have a spiky chair. I have lap desks. Um, and I have a lounge area, a cozy corner, a sink area, a front rug area. Um, I have some stools that the students can use. Um, and mind you, I've just collected these over the years. Um, it's and Facebook Marketplace is a lovely thing. <laughs> it sounds exciting. What is a spiky chair? Um, I got this from a special ed teacher, actually. It is a, a blow-up cushion, and it has uh, spikes on it. It's kind of made out of plastic or rubber, and when you sit on it, it kind of feels good. And then you can turn it over, and the other side just has, like, bubbles on it, um, and the kids oh. seem to like it. So I, I am amazed with 29 young folks. Your space is must be packed. Yes and no. So one of the things that I do is when they come in for meet and greet, everything is out. Some teachers have a different um, way that they roll out their flexible seating. They will take a little bit out at a time. Um, I want them to see all of the options, but they're also not allowed to use it. Um, I want them to see what the classroom should look like when we're not using flexible seating first. It helps them remember where things go 
um, how it should look when we're when we're cleaning up, which is really big. Um, so for the first two days, so meet and greet, and then the first two days, they're not allowed to use flexible seating. And then most of them have had some experience. So we will do a class meeting about what flexible seating looks like and what it sounds like. Mm. Now, um, I learned something new this year with my with my L students, um, the looks like and sound like that was a little bit of confusing language. So I might not use that next year when I'm going over class norms, because a lot of my friends were taking it a little more literal. Like what does the cushion feel like? Uh, I'm sorry. Like, what does it look like? What looks soft or this chair sounds squeaky when you sit in it. Um, so I had to be really explicit in my language and I had to ask them, what does your behavior look like? What does your behavior sound like when you're using flexible seating? Um, but they set the norms. This is how I do my class rules, if you will, or guidelines. Um, I don't make them sign a contract. We just come up with ways as a class. What do we want our room to look like and sound like? And flexible seating is part of that. Um, and something that's super important that I usually get questions on is what do they do with their actual chairs? Um, I also have yoga balls. So we talk about fire safety or emergency safety as well. And we bring, I make them come up with where do we put the chairs? I make them have that conversation about safety and they always end up coming with the same answer, which is the chairs must be on the perimeter of the room. It must be touching either a wall or my teacher's desk or something. And it must be facing out so that if someone is moving around the room, they can sit on it. So it's functioning as well. So empowering and ownership. You, you, your children are really taking ownership for their, for their, their environment, for their classroom. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my favorite things is in the beginning of the year, they're so excited. Um, the first week, which was last week for us, um, they every kid wanted to be in their spot, which is fine. And I always let them. But then when it's time to take notes or when it's time to watch a video, um, they realize that some of the flexible seating is not what they want for their learning. And I'm going to use a stool for an example. I have a really small stool where if you sit on it, your elbows instantly touch your knees. It's pretty small. Um, and they're allowed to grab clipboards whenever they want. But they find that if they're doing group work and they need to, everyone's leaning on the group of desks together to try to do a team building activity. The stool's not really comfortable. Or we need to take notes and there's a there's a student who wants to sit in the cozy corner. They can't really see there. So they end up finding their way back to their desk. And they start to learn when am I going to use my flexible seating and when am I not for what fits me for learning. And I love to watch that grow. I love to watch them figure that out. Um, they end up being so generous with each other in terms of sharing and trading. And uh, it's, it's really amazing to watch. Beautiful. So all, all of this, if you will, front loading of the community building and the social emotional, uh, that is supported in your building and in your school district. Did I hear that correctly? Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. So where are you now in the process? Are you two weeks in yet? Um, we are on our seventh day. Oh, so we okay. um, came back after Labor Day and um, started fresh this week. Okay. Are you seeing any concerns 
or uh, have things kind of moved pretty smoothly so far? So um, last week, ending the week, um, well, I should start off with this summer. I had come up with slash borrowed some other lessons that I had seen um, to start off the year. And one of them, which we had chatted about before, is something called invisible backpacks, which I'm learning is becoming more popular. Um, this was something that I was planning on doing. I'll explain this in a second. Um, this is something I was planning on doing in the beginning, like first, second day. And I realized it's pretty, it's pretty deep and we needed to develop a little bit of trust. Okay. Um, so that was the first, and I don't want to call it a hiccup. It was just eye-opening for me that we still have a little bit of more work to do in terms of that trust. And it's going to take time. Sure. Um, But what I did was um, invisible backpacks. Basically, everyone has one. Um, You can't see them. And when you have a lot going on, specifically in your personal life, your backpack may feel a little bit heavy. And we talked about what, how do you feel when you're holding something that's heavy? And they came to the conclusion that the longer you hold it, the heavier it is. So we read a picture book. Um, It is called... What's inside your backpack? I got it off Amazon. Um, it's by Jessica Sharsky, I believe. And it's about a student who has a lot going on at home and she goes to school and her teacher and her counselor try to help her make her backpack a little bit lighter. In her backpack are books that um, are her worry, her embarrassment, and everything with her story. So we talk about that. Um, we debrief a little bit about, you know, does everyone have an invisible backpack? Um, if someone seems like they're happy on the outside, does that mean they don't have a heavy backpack? Um, will our invisible backpacks ever be empty? So we start with that language and then they get an opportunity to create their own backpack. And this was the first time of the year where I felt a little bit of a, like I said, it's not quite a hiccup, but we just some of us weren't there yet. And that makes sense, right? If you, if you have 29 kids, some kids are, it doesn't matter if you have 20 kids, some kids are going to be ready to tell you everything. Other kids need more time, which is totally fine. Um, and I would say about 80% of my students really took the activity where they drew some things that, um, some books, some worries, some things that really affected their mood when they came to school, Um, anything that's happened in the past or things that were current. And um, I got a wide variety. I got everything from test anxiety to family members living in a different country to, um, to not finishing something in time can really weigh down one of my students' backpacks. And that was so incredibly helpful to see in the beginning. Um, however, I also had some kiddos who they just weren't ready. They told me they couldn't think of anything, which is understandable. Mm -hmm. Um, one said that, you know, she thought she might get upset. So, um, in that moment, I actually changed the activity slightly. And I said that I wanted them to put anything on the outside of their backpack that makes it feel lighter. It takes some of that weight off. I wasn't planning on doing that, but I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that it worked out that way. Oh, that was brilliant on your part. That that's really 
focusing and paying attention to where your audience is at the moment in time. Good for you, Katie. Well done. Thank you. Well done. So you're seven days in. Where are you heading the next seven days? So after that, we did, um, there's a popular TikTok by Amy Scott about um, equal versus fair. I really wanted to start off the year with this because we have a lot of kids who, you know, they have charts, behavior charts. Um, some kids are allowed to have snack at the end of the day, at the end of the day, or other because it's something that they need. Or, you know, we as teachers, we know what all of our students need. As students, they may see it as, oh, well, that kid is getting something that I want. Why do they get to have that? And I don't, even though they don't know the details. So we talk about equal versus fair. There's a um, Band-Aid analogy that we use that the kids had a lot of fun with. Basically, you give each kid um, a card that has an injury or illness on it. And you ask the kids to stand up who have a skin knee and um, you give them a Band-Aid, a physical Band-Aid. And then you ask the kids who their card says a sore throat and you give them a Band-Aid. They get confused. And then you ask the kids who have an earache to stand up and you give them a Band-Aid. And this was so fun. They were giggling. They were laughing. Um, They were so confused. And it was a good opportunity for the first time to be like sarcastic together and be like, oh, no, you have a stomach ache. I should send you the nurse, but here's a Band-Aid. And we laughed about it. And then we talked about how it was equal that everyone got a Band-Aid. But that's not necessarily fair. And together we came up with the definition that fairness is getting what you need to be successful. And I gave some examples, not necessarily of what they might see with their peers, because I didn't want to be too specific, but just saying that if someone is getting something, or I actually use the example, if I'm redirecting one student because they're calling out and there's another student that I'm not redirecting as much, just know it may have to do with their invisible backpack. Mm. granted we don't need to know what's in each other's invisible backpacks unless they decide to share that with us we just need to have that general agreement Mm. so i was able to i was able to connect back to the invisible backpacks um and use that band-aid analogy that you know if if someone says it's not fair i can say (laughs) band-aid and it's kind of like our little inside joke. So where I'm heading next, um, is actually with the inner beasts, which I know we've chatted a lot about. That was an incredible project. I loved it. (laughs) Tell our listeners, please. Sure. So this is actually a classroom dojo, um, activity. So if you have access to classroom dojo, I believe it's free. So you can even sign up. They have their own lessons within. So what I do is, and I've done this with fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade, um, I would approach it differently for each of them, but the activity and the requirements are the same. And it has been successful every year. So um, we talk about inner beasts, just like our invisible backpacks, everyone has one. And there's a video on Dojo that explains that we all have one. Um, They'll never go away. So we need to learn what causes them to come out, what triggers our inner beasts, and we need to learn how to tame our beasts. Mm. Um, And so with fifth and sixth grade, I was able to do this activity within 
probably three days because there's an extra part. Um, with fourth grade, it's going to take a little bit longer because there needs to be a little bit more scaffolding, right. um, especially if they don't have the experience with, you know, chatting about emotions and and such. So we watch the video and then we brainstorm what could an inner beast be? And most of the time they say things like inner beast is angry, which is fine. But I want a little bit more. Mm. I want to know not just a feeling that comes about generally, a little more specific. Mm. One of my favorite ones is competitiveness. Mm. I think a lot of kids can relate to that one. I always offer up my own inner beast because like Tom says, I'm not going to ask you to do something if I'm not going to do it as well. Um, My inner beast is perfectionism. And we talk about how it doesn't necessarily have to have a negative connotation to it. Um, And we brainstorm with the little guys. I would do video one day, brainstorming the next. Um, And then after that, I really focus on, well, what is a trigger and what is a tame? So once they've identified, once we've brainstormed, they've identified their own inner beast. I really have to help them figure out what triggers and what tames it. Um, Because the older kids, they seem to like can do that in one step almost if you give them the time. Um, My fourth graders just, they just, they just need that a little bit more support with that. And then the last part, which is my favorite, is they get to draw their inner beasts. I give them lots of time because they they really appreciate it and they take it so seriously. Um, I've had kids that show different colors on their beast for different feelings. Oh, that's nice. So like if red is competition or excuse me, um, competitive, if red is their competitive Green could be anger and yellow is tears. Like, and they'll label it that way. Um, I have others that will like draw images inside their beast of what triggers it. Um, I've had a child do uh, a picture of a test with an F on it, you know, symbolizing that she has test anxiety and then um, her, her inner beast comes out. But the biggest thing about this is It's obviously important to figure out what triggers your inner beast, but the taming is really helpful for the rest of the year. Um, We talk about, you know, to us, those are coping strategies to kids. We don't expect them to use that language, but, you know, we, we can expect how do we tame our inner beast right now and using that language. Um, We talk about self-regulation, about coloring, about deep breathing, uh, physical, like taking a walk. We do that very often. Um, and just learning what to do when we can't get this feeling to subside. So Katie, two things come to me as I'm listening to you. One, you have a very creative classroom and you have a very creative approach to your teaching. Would I be correct? Yes. I love that. I absolutely (laughs) love it. The other piece that I love you really are helping your children with their own mental health. You're offering them very practical, and and I love the specificity, helping the kids kind of dig deep and unpack really what's going on, not just a general, as you said, anger, if you will. Uh, And I, I, I am very, very confident 
that not only are they going to be successful academically, but you're going to help them. You're going to help create healthier human beings. Thank you. Actually, I can't take all the credit there. Um, The person who inspired me was actually Jesse McFarlane. Um, One time she came to us for a PD and she, it was the first time she had introduced the blob tree, um, which I know a lot of people are familiar with. And she told, she said to us that children may not have the emotional language Mm. to talk about the way that they feel. And it actually made me flash back to um, my sister was having a baby at, this is years ago, and my oldest niece was staying with us. She was was staying with um, me, my stepmom, my dad, and um, while her mom was in the hospital. And my niece was crying about, I don't even know what. And my stepmom took her in her arms and I was like, you know, I was a teenager. I was annoyed. I was like, she won't stop crying. Um, (laughs) I didn't even understand at the time. And my stepmom took her into her arms and said, honey, do you know why you're crying? And she said, no, she said, it's because you're tired. This feeling that you feel right now, where you just don't know what to do, but cry. Remember this feeling. This means it's time to lay down and take a nap. You had to uh, explicitly teach a four-year-old this is what this feeling is. This is a name for it. I love it. So when, when Jesse said that about the blob tree, I thought, you know what? There are so many kids that she's right. They don't have the emotional language, which is why I really was excited for the invisible backpacks, the band-aid, the inner beast, because it really provides a safe space for this language that they're not afraid to use. Because it's not socially acceptable to walk in a room, not necessarily a classroom, but as an adult to walk into CVS and the clerk says, Hey, how are you? It's just in our, in our world, it's not acceptable to be like, not good. Yeah. It is acceptable to say my backpack's feeling a little heavy today. Mm. And we chat about, you know, well, what happens if your backpack is heavy? Who can you talk to? Um, and it just, it just gives that language and it just provides them with knowing what their options are when they're feeling this way, because we don't just come to school to learn. We don't, we come to school to connect and there's, it's just so much more than academic. That, that is a beautiful, beautiful message, Katie. And, and, you know, Jesse's one of my favorites. She's a dear, dear friend and she is brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant and has a beautiful heart and, and still teaching every day. And I, I I guess I want to end on that connection piece. Uh, I don't know that there's anything more important. And I love that you emphasize for all of us listening tonight that we come to school to connect and maybe even more so than we come to school to learn. And and that connection is intimately tied into the learning piece. Absolutely. Katie, thank you so much for being with us. Can't wait to see you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. Thanks, Katie.